Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. On Keep Them Coming today, I am joined by someone that I was actually introduced to, and I'm so glad that my friend made this intro, but I'm joined by Caitlin, who is the host and founder of the Oldest Profession podcast. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's a uh, thrill to be connected. I you know this person was doing uh, both of us, I think, a favor by connecting us, <laughs> but I want to have you tell the listeners a little bit more about your background. You don't just have this, first off, the podcast, the oldest profession podcast is about uh, what you probably think it is. It's about prostitution and sex work and all that good stuff. But there's a reason why Caitlin got into this. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Yeah, absolutely. I um, I started doing sex work uh, as a young person when I was still in high school, really from a place of curiosity. You know, I, I come from privilege. Uh, you know, I, I joke um, as a stand-up comic. You know, I, I come from money, not pony money, but like, go ahead, major in history. Uh, money, which is exactly what I did, you know, so I had this lived experience um, as a sex worker going to school in the South with this like, or, you know, abstinence only education, there was something you know, implicit, this sort of like foundational belief that when women do sex stuff, and this was a very heteronormative, like, curriculum, right? Being gay is still mm -hmm. illegal when I'm mm -hmm. when I was in high school, like 2004. Uh, so, you know, the the official line from our instructors was like, this is a crime. Uh, so that but that when when women and girls do sex stuff, they lose something. And that when boys and men engage in sexual conquest with women, they are taking something from them. And that this was just the like, mm. oh, obviously, behind every slut shaming piece of of my my childhood and background. And so for me, prostitution felt like an act of defiance against this supposedly foundational belief. And I, you know, I had sex for money. I engaged in, uh, you know, this work and the sky didn't fall down. And that has become a lifelong obsession. You know, I, I went to school, I was a history major. I wrote my college thesis on the economic structure of brothels in Charleston between 1890 um, and 1920, leading up to white women's suffrage. Yeah. And I, you know, I graduated college. I became an activist. I worked, you know, for Planned Parenthood and doing like organizing all over the country that I, be, I became disillusioned with that in 2010, uh, which is when the political shit show that we're in now started uh, mm -hmm. with the gerrymandering of it. We, 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 we don't, it's a, a lot of rabbit holes to get off on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, long story short, um, I got burned out in politics and got into stand up comedy, which is a little bit like becoming a, a feral person. And so <laughs> I did that in New York. Uh, I got back into sex work, this time as a survival strategy. But it was also very much a choice, right? I was like, I am unwilling to participate in the formal economy as it is set up, right? I, I am pursuing yeah. stand-up yeah. comedy. I understand that there is no money in that. I will do sex work to meet my survival needs. 
while continuing to pursue my number one goal. And I did that. Um, and it was in that context that I started the oldest profession podcast. And then Sesta Fosta happened in 2018. Um, oh God, don't get me started on Sesta Fosta. Good. So your listeners but, already but, know what we're talking well, about. Well, let's, let's, go, let's go ahead and have a conversation about Fosta okay, Sesta. Cool. Absolutely. Because that bitch, Vicki Hartzler, is from Missouri. And uh, oh, uh, God. <laughs> yeah. So oh, don't Sesta Fosta is, is awesome. Oh, actually, you know what? Yeah, Kristen, you know what this is. Like, please yes. tell us. So FOSTA SESTA is a piece of legislation. One part was in um, the House of Representatives, one part was from the Senate, so then they combined them. Um, but it's basically stopping internet sex trafficking, okay? Um, yes, we do Except all agree that yeah, we need to it. stop the trafficking of human beings, especially against their will, okay? So when they put all these people, uh, you know, in the hearings that are crying about what, what's happened to them with sex trafficking, human trafficking, all that stuff, absolutely our heartstrings are tugged and we need to do something about it. However, this piece of legislation is far overreaching. It's also retroactive. It removes Section 230 of um, the, what was it, the FEC? Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. It's like uh, Article 230, which Article 230. Say, yeah, it's like the 23 words that created the internet. And so it, it is. It basically made, yeah, it, yes, it made the internet allowed. service providers not responsible for what we yes. make. It's it's the, the the principle that allows for free expression on the internet, right? Yes. Like you can say things on the internet that you can't say, for example, at your local mall, which is private property that you know is is there to increase um, the experience of of customers, right? Yes, you can't just mm -hmm. so. But the internet, right? We don't hold. Uh, or we used to not hold, like, for example, platforms liable for what their users were posting, which is what allowed, you know, Backpage, Craigslist Erotic mm -hmm. Services, mm -hmm. um, lots of places that sex, work sex workers and their clients had created over decades yes. where people could schedule and screen their clients, right? These were harm yes. reduction techniques. These were exactly. community organizing techniques. And so... SESTA-FOSTA essentially incentivized all of these platforms to proactively erase any sexual content or like think promotion of prostitution, which is, mm -hmm. it turns out can be very broad. Like at one point, yes. Instagram shadow banned hashtag woman because <laughs> they didn't want- They shadow banned sex positive. Right. Yeah. It's like, guys- so we're repeating all of the mistakes, really, of the the, the progressive era. We we can get into that uh, in a minute. You know, the Comstock's law tried to prevent obscenity in newspapers in the 1890s, and it ended up single-handedly delaying the birth control movement in this country for decades because pornography mm -hmm. was defined as medically accurate sex education. So, like, it, so you know, like, this isn't our first rodeo with these dumb ideas, and sex yeah. workers like the Cassandras of history had been screaming about the harmful impact of this law from before it was passed yes. and have been screaming about the, the quote unquote, you know, it's like when it's this much of a pattern, it's like, is it unintended, but the unintended, ostensibly unintended consequences that have really had a detrimental impact on trafficking victims yes. and people like the exact people that these legislators and policymakers claimed to be helping are, have been aggressively and demonstrably hurt by this policy. You yeah. saw it in uh, you saw it in suicide rates. You saw it in um, uh, yeah, you saw it in crisis hotline number help. You saw it in an immediate increase in reports of street-based 
sex work mm-hmm. as people were mm-hmm. kicked off their online spaces. And you saw it with people running back to the arms of predators mm-hmm. because they became more dependent on these exploitative third parties because they could no longer, for example, post on Craigslist erotic services. Yeah. So it's like, it, it, it's op- it was opposite world. And we, I saw the impact that that law had on my community and also saw the silence of my you know, fellow stand-up comedians who are these, you know, big free speech advocates on actual censorship that was actually criminalizing mm-hmm. freedom of speech and freedom of expression on the internet, which is different from like a college uninviting you uh, yeah. because yeah. you said the N-word. So like, it, anyway, it, it was this juxtaposition that I, I was, it really radicalized me. And so I got more involved in sex worker advocacy and rights um, I took a position as the director of communications for Decriminalized Sex Work, which is a national advocacy organization, and spent cool. two years uh, talking to legislators and going to conferences, you know, in the before times, mm-hmm. um, you know, really trying to connect with people on asking legislators um, and communities to listen to sex workers and stop the arrests. And that was our big policy shift. And I felt after the pandemic hit, um, and you know, I, you know, there was a coup that happened like yesterday, right? Politics yeah, is right. broken right now. Oh my and god! So it's like right, and so just like as as a person, I was just like, I don't know. I feel like spending my time trying to impact, you know, local policy changes, which is where this is happening, is a Sisyphean task that is actually impossible if we can't let go of this false narrative of white slavery and human trafficking and how cops are the good guys who are hunting the bad guys who are like hunting our girls, which is not what, you know, the, the vast expanse of human violent exploitation looks like. Um, and so, you know, I started old pro productions and relaunched the oldest profession podcast as Um, an organization where, you know, like our mission is to tell better sex worker stories and our vision is to change the stories that people tell and know about what it means to engage in this work because it actually doesn't mean that much. It's like all kinds of people have done this for all kinds of reasons. And one thing that we could do um, is stop arresting people for engaging in this work. Well, and also, we can look at the numbers and see that when it comes down to prosecutions, it's often the person engaging in the sex act, not the purchaser, not the buyer. Right. You know, it's it's usually the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the the John, the guy who paid for her, is not the one that's getting prosecuted right now. And, <laughs> in most and cases. It, it, yes, and every place where the client um, or third party is prosecuted violence and exploitation against sex workers goes up, right? This is something that's sometimes referred to as the Nordic policy mm-hmm. or end demand or the entrapment model. But, you know, the, this is this is policy that has been tried recently in um, Ireland and Canada. Uh, and we now have empirical evidence in addition to what sex workers have been telling us, which is you can't criminalize half an activity. Please right. don't, please don't right. go after our clients. That doesn't make anything better for us. We are in sales. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't yes, help. Exactly. And it, I'm with you that it should be, there should be no prosecution. This yes. should not be illegal. This is it a, be, sorry. A, 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 it's a exchange. It's a, 
we consent to it. You know, if it's two <laughs> consenting adults and they choose to also exchange money in the process, so what? Yes. And I think that's really important is that I feel like we lose sight of what we're really talking about here, which is two consensual adults engaging in consensual sexual activity. And when you criminalize that, you empower a level of, of surveillance and prosecution and, and just invitation into the private lives. Because like, how do you, and, and that's something that I think I want listeners to understand is that laws targeting sex workers always expand into laws targeting women, right? And that's yes. the story yes. of sex worker policy here in the US, right? We said that we were going after pornography, right? Because we mm -hmm. wanted to clean up, right, our streets, but we ended up erasing information about STIs and birth control, right? We said that we were going after trafficking victims, but we ended up erasing consensual sex workers out of the places that they built themselves to feel safe off the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And now as we're starting to see more and more of these policies, like I'm, I'm hearing from friends of mine that have never engaged in sex work, that their content is being uh, censored on, on platforms that they use. And it's all, and it all stems back to this whorephobia, but those things spread. We are the canaries in the coal mine, but we will not be the last people affected by these, these policy initiatives. Mm, very well said. Thank you. So yeah, so the oldest profession podcast every, you know, we do, we've partnered with Dr. Uh, Charlene Fletcher, who is a PhD historian who has dedicated her career um, to understanding, uh, you know, how incarceration um, mm -hmm. and how, uh, how we incarcerate people in a physical and also psychological sense, which I think is the right, the right perspective on the history of these laws. Um, in, in addition to an incredible production team. And we have our first big event coming up January 25th. Ooh, an event. Tell me more. I mean, it's it's still the Corona times. So yes. I assume it's going to yeah. be online. Exactly. So tell me more. Which means everyone can tune in. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be a virtual event January 25th, which is the anniversary of the first sex worker led protest uh, here in the US. It's called the Old Pro Project. And what we've done is we've partnered with sex worker advocacy organizations from all over the country, like Swap Behind Bars and the Sex Work Project Urban Justice Center and Sex Work Rights to fund an art build in five cities within sex worker advocacy communi communities to celebrate our history of resistance. So oh, I love it. Yeah. So like New York is publishing this badass zine called Walking While Trans Through History. New Orleans has created this incredible uh, billboard and postering campaign. And they're putting together a pamphlet with a local organization about how the history of incarceration uh, target, you know, hurts domestic violence victims. Um, San Francisco is making a documentary series. Seattle had this great music video. Portland uh, created a, um, a trip. I was like, what's the kind of billboard that you can move? Um, I like forgot the banner. That oh, banner. <laughs> what's the word for? Uh, created a banner in addition to capturing um, all of this history about a local uh, comrade of theirs that they, that they recently lost. Um, and so it's, we're really, really proud. It's a lot of different projects from a lot of different communities all over the country that are all coming together 
to celebrate our shared history um, of resistance. And it's going to be live on Instagram. Oh, I love it. Yay. I will definitely tune in for that one. And I'll, I'll put notes in, I'll put something in the show notes so that people can connect to that and get tickets for that too. Fantastic. Thank you. So something that kind of got brought up in my mind as you were talking about some of this stuff is sex work in my perception has become more prevalent during the pandemic. I've had several friends lose their jobs and turn to things like OnlyFans, yeah. and mini vids and things mm-hmm. like that. Even making, you know, stuff to put up on Pornhub. Yeah. And I guess what I'm thinking about is how, you know, this, this pandemic has been hardest on women. Mm-hmm. We have been the majority of the ones losing jobs. We have been the ones taking more pay cuts. Those of us that have children are doing the majority of the childcare and if they're in school, helping them with the schoolwork. And it puts on additional economic strains on us, especially if we are single. Yeah. So I have been thinking about how I can get more active in advocating for decriminalizing sex work. And, you know, there's a lot of talk out there between legalizing it versus decriminalizing Mm -hmm. it. So can you help help the listeners and, and myself understand more what the difference is between the two? hundred percent. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. And I think that's a really important impulse to really follow through with whenever you're doing any kind of advocacy. You know, I think that there are a lot of people who are like waking up to systemic injustice right now who are Mm -hmm. ready to dive in and start helping. But, you know, good intentions don't necessarily make anything better. So I feel like there are a lot of ways to quote unquote help sex workers, right? That much like these laws ends up hurting us. And I think legalization and regulation is a really good example of that. The things that (laughs) sound like a good idea, right? Like mandatory STD tests. Right. Mm-hmm. Sounds so you're kind of like talking like about like public what's going on policy, like yeah. no, like Nevada, right? Like how Nevada <laughs> has legalized and sanctioned, like yes. they have rules around everything, rather yes. than and rather than New Zealand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or what we did with LGBT rights, right? Which is that you know if you want to engage in consensual homosexual activity with a friend of yours, you do not have to fill out a form with a government agency. You just have to mm-hmm. not hurt that person, right? Mm-hmm. And then nobody is committing a crime, right? That's yes. That's what that's the direction and the umbrella and the philosophical framework that we need to think of sex work in, right? Because sex work is is work, but it is also sex. And mm-hmm. co- quote unquote common sense regulations that work for other work environments don't work for the big umbrella category of sex work. They might be appropriate for, you know, strip clubs or uh, porn sets or like other professionalized settings that should do their own unionizing, labor organizing. Uh, But Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be coming up with like blanket umbrella stuff across the board of sex work because you end up creating a dystopian nightmare that only helps brothel owners. And that's what's happened in Nevada. That's what's happened in Amsterdam. And that is the unintended but inevitable consequence of licensing and regulations. And just as an example, let's dive into Nevada because I, I want to talk mm-hmm. about that because it's what people think about when they think about legalized prostitution. And it is an example of 
legalized, regulated prostitution. Um, and it's the only state in the country where you can work as a legal prostitute, but it also has the highest arrest rate per capita for prostitution. Really? And yes. So let's talk that through, right? Mm -hmm. Because in order to become a legally licensed sex worker in Nevada, I have to first be hired by a brothel, right? Mm -hmm. So it helps if I'm in a, a cis white lady. I have mm -hmm. to also, you know, be able to legally work here. So that's so if I'm an undocumented immigrant, then like just we're SOL, right? Uh, the brothels have uh, a celebrated history, not celebrated, but an unfortunate history of discriminating against all kinds of bodies. Um, mm -hmm. Then uh, I have to register with the local sheriff's office that as a as a licensed prostitute that becomes a subpoenable fact about me for the rest mm. of my life. So you can imagine mm -hmm. how this plays out, for example, in child custody cases. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, I have to work within a confusing network of state, county, and local house rules. Um, I have a curfew. If I'm working as a legally licensed prostitute in a brothel, I'm not allowed to get a drink in at the bar uh, in the in the next town over. I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and that's in addition to the mandatory ST, uh, STI checks, all of the house fees that go into these these prohibitively expensive licenses, right? So the overwhelming majority of brothel owners in Nevada are well-connected, uh, wealthy white men, because in addition mm -hmm. to having the resources to pay for these, you know, vice license, right? Like a casino, right? They also have to be politically connected enough to secure those licenses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like Heidi Fleiss famously was unable to navigate this system, right? When she tried to open a legal brothel in Nevada. So it's like, the these are not accessible systems. They end up creating a false monopoly that then the state enforces, right? So they're very aggressive about cracking down on prostitution outside of these legally licensed brothels because the brothels have a vested interest in maintaining their monopoly. The mm -hmm. same thing happened here um, in New York in a criminalized way when um, a, vice, a vice squad in the Bronx was running um, a trafficking ring, frankly. Oh. Uh, oh. And they were using their position as vice cops not to rescue the victims that they were exploiting, but rather to crack down on the competition. So that's the same thing that brothels do in Nevada, that there's extra policing because they want to drive people to these brothels where the women are, frankly, much more effectively controlled. Mm -hmm. I think so much of it comes down to just how our society wants to control women, their bodies, yeah. their paychecks. Yes. <laughs> All yeah, and so to yeah, to decriminalize this ancient survival strategy during a global pandemic, during an, an economic crisis, I think is an attack on women. And I think is sort of the pointy end um, of misogyny. Uh, and I think that women across the country need to recognize that laws targeting sex workers, uh, laws are othering sex workers quickly expands to women who step out of out out of the bounds right these are women who engage in premarital sex extramarital sex uh divorce right remember when divorce was synonymous with sex worker like uh -huh. this doesn't end here so my my message to women who do not engage in sex work and who do not identify as sex workers is this is still your fight
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad we met. Seriously. <laughs> this is such a conversation I've been looking forward to having with somebody because I, I've been mulling this idea over for a while to have someone on to talk about sex work because I'm definitely an advocate saying that sex work is work. Yep. And especially since everything's happened with FOSTA and SESTA, it has affected me and how I can operate my business, but I also have friends that it's affected them Yep, because they were sex workers. Mm -hmm. And I have, as you said, seen them have to gravitate towards things that give them either protection or credence or things like that. Like Mm -hmm. instead of doing in-person sex work, moving to phone sex work. Um, and then again, you're still having to pay a platform. You're having to give some of your money to someone else to put your name out there or, you know, do all those things. Yeah. There's so much that's been put into our system to gatekeep this and prevent women from being completely autonomous and making their own decisions. It's so funny to me how often policies that are there to protect people end up just making us work harder for less money. Yeah. Like, you know, that seems to be like a consistent theme in policies that are sold to the American people as ways to protect marginalized people end up putting more of us in handcuffs and draining more resources out of our households. Mm -hmm. That's, That's the net result. And it's out of our households and into the pockets of people that are way more well-off than we are. Yeah, like maybe the best, most effective anti-trafficking strategy isn't giving your local police department like more riot gear. Maybe that's like Mm. not actually an anti-trafficking initiative. Like maybe we don't need tanks to fight traffickers. We need like a stronger social safety net. Or officers who understand how to operate the internet and (laughs) look for things and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I, definitely also anti-militarization of the police yeah. since 9-11 because they <laughs> militarized our police because they were so afraid of brown people coming over yeah. here and killing us. When it that turns out missed, it was just it was, white it was, domestic right. terrorists. Yeah. Like the ones who staged the, the coups yesterday. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so timely that you brought that up, actually, because like the only people that breached the Capitol in history were white supremacists. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like it, there, there's a, there's obviously a lot to unpack there, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like every or I, I started a lot of conversations with elected officials all over the country with uh, Taken was not a documentary, and I mm-hmm. feel like we need to sort of start there that you have been sold right, you have been aggressively propagandized to that sex work looks and operates a certain way, and mm-hmm. it just doesn't, you yeah. know that like the overwhelming majority of people that engage in sex work are doing so on a spectrum of like choice circumstance Mm -hmm. and coercion, Mm -hmm. just like everything else in the world. Right. But that real violent exploitation that we tend to really focus on and kind of fetishize in a way around sex work seems to be a way of like ignoring and projecting our fears about how our deeply violent and deeply exploitative economy actually works, right? Mm -hmm. Stop looking for sex slaves in motels when you're just like cracking down on queer kids and start interviewing our agricultural workers and empowering them with the basic tools that they need to survive and advocate for more work protections at their deeply exploitative jobs. Yes. Right. Yes. Like 
If you hate people doing things that are bad for them for money, you don't hate prostitution. You hate exploitation. And we should talk about that. But criminalizing prostitution doesn't get us any closer to a world without exploitation. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. This has just been such a great conversation so far that I can't, I don't even know like what questions to ask next. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I just want you to keep talking. I mean, like, if, I mean, I am a stand-up so comic, fun. right? So like my, my natural state is just lecturing people for an hour. Like it's, <laughs> but. I'm okay um, with that. Cause you're chock full of all sorts of great information. I, you know, one of the things that you touched on there is about how it's, what did you say? It's a, it's a choice, but it's between choice, circumstance, and what? Coercion, right? Coercion. So, yeah, like that all work, right? Exists. Yes, all work is on that. Yes. Yes, exactly. I want to do this. It is my life's mission to do this. I mm-hmm. have to do this in order to pay my mortgage, pay for college, pay my law school debt, or I am being forced to do this by my abusive partner uh, or my abusive landlord or my abusive employer who has removed the means that I would need to leave, right? Like mm-hmm. my passport or mm-hmm. threatening uh, the authorities, right? So that's why the, the criminalization of prostitution is so opposite. It's like we be, when, you, when you make somebody a member of a criminalized class, right? Like mm-hmm. undocumented immigrants, for example, right? Mm-hmm you make it impossible for them to report crimes committed against them, even egregious ones, Mm -hmm. which just empowers all of the predators around them to systemically rob, exploit, um, and otherwise take advantage of a known vulnerable group, right? Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. actually empower, you know, would-be, you know, exploitative pimps, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, when you criminalize sex work because they they can't report the rape against you because they they're a criminal yeah just for existing and being a criminal yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's amazing to me that people don't see that (sighs) yeah i there's so many things that people don't understand because there is so much taboo still here around sex in general right so then of course the idea of selling your body for sex and sexual favors whatever like it's just well that's the people other, that's, around here their heads explode i got uh, i mean I, I live in i live in the midwest i gotta push back on that because it was a it was just a beautiful moment between my mother and i because like so my my mom found out about me doing sex work because i like wrote and produced and promoted a one woman show about it right so like i didn't okay. tell her but she like read about it on the internet because i'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a coward and life is complicated right <laughs> so we went to therapy about that together right because because and she said out loud in our therapy meeting, um, I can't believe you sold your body. And I said, I didn't, I still have it. And the therapist laughed. And that was sort of the end of, of our conversation is I feel like I won, I won with a, with a joke. And I do want to push back on that because like there, there are people who are, are selling their health, right? You know, yeah. mm-hmm. coal miners, um, I would argue mm-hmm. content moderators on the internet that volunteer to watch the most horrific things for 10 mm-hmm. and 12 hours a day. Um, but sex workers are not doing that. Like we're engaging in sex. It's like one of the healthiest things you can do. Yes. Like, you know, like it's, it's, and it's bananas to me that this idea of the like sickly or, or, or that we're being somehow sucked of our life energy 
which is like literally biologically the opposite of what happens. It's like dudes that lose life force have like you seen a dude after he comes they're useless but, like, <laughs> right yes <laughs> right? but, like I you know I feel invigorated right it's like so it, anyway it 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 just boggles my mind that we sort of allow these foundational lies to mask things that should be plainly true thank you for that yes that we're no one is selling their body they're selling a service right and they still own their body at the that end. is more like a massage than it yeah. is like selling an organ Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because you still have it all at the end, right? Right. <laughs> but there's, again, that, that taboo around sex is the first ring, you know, yeah. and then the participating in sex, because it's one thing to have, you know, talk about sex and high level concepts and, and safety and health, all that stuff. But then to actually talk about our sex lives and what we do and what we engage in, there's like even more taboo, I think, right. for people. Or the audacity of centering your own needs, desires, and privileges, which I think on some level is what sex work is, is like, you know, being honest about the fact that this dude isn't going to make us come. And so we should be paid for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will admit I myself have done sex work. I am not ashamed of it. It's not something that I necessarily like run around and talk about, but this conversation might empower me a little bit more to talk about it. So I, I did like phone sex operator stuff. Fuck yeah. I failed miserably at it. I was so bad at it. Oh. <laughs> if I was allowed to just be one character, like just me, like create a persona and just play that person yep. Yep, yep, or even yep. just be me because I can be pretty fucking dominant. Mm -hmm. um, that's fine. But when they were trying to get me to play these roles that I just didn't find sexy yep. or just, I couldn't get into it. And, it was the work and, of it that you hated. I, yeah. Yes. I've heard this from a lot of like people in the sex positive community. Cause they think sex work is sex, but it is also work. And it is yes. different. Like just because you're good at throwing dinner parties wouldn't make you a good waitress. For example, yes. you might, I was a terrible waitress. I was very bad at all of, all of those jobs actually. I also did um, OnlyFans for a little bit. That's hard work. Oh yeah, that's yeah. You're it it's is, like every <laughs> everything that's terrible about being an Instagram influencer with everything that's terrible about being a porn actress without any of the money or prestige of either. It's yeah, yes. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and you know it and you are seeing this, um, you know, surge of people that are rushing into places like OnlyFans or or other kinds of survival sex work in order to get their survival needs met. And the public narrative is that this is easy, lazy money from people who should be making better choices in like literally during a global pandemic where like our, right? our whole system of government has just failed and we're like, blame these whores. And it's like, dude, that's not, that's not what's happening here. So it's right? a real deflection of blame and then the lived experience for so many of these people is I'm failing at easy money that I sold my soul to do, right? Mm -hmm. That's demoralizing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I think it's important that we recognize that as a gendered attack, that yes. this is, right, we, we are telling a generation of promising young women who aren't doing anything wrong that they're broken, and that they failed and that it is justifiable for people mm -hmm. to discriminate against them for the mm -hmm. rest of their life mm -hmm. for, for, for what? Or that no one's going to want them after that. Yes. I've seen so many Twitter yes. posts about, 
oh, you better, you know, check your girl's history after the pandemic's over and see if she was selling yeah. herself on OnlyFans. It's like um, abusers, but no. with like, yeah, when morning radio hosts are like, check to make sure your girl wasn't a hoe, like that's normalizing abuse. And like that, that's another event that radicalized me was when, when I first moved to New York as a struggling stand-up comic, I, you know, told this like handsome Irish dude that I met at a bar or whatever, because I like, you know, cliches. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I told him about my history as a sex worker and he told me I was broken and I believed him because I knew that my parents would basically believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. Yeah. And so I, you know, I decided to come out aggressively as a sex worker because I wanted to surround myself with people that already knew that and completely disempower anyone that told me that that would make me unlovable. Yes. But there are so many people, like, but that community was hard to find mm -hmm. and that's bullshit. Yeah. 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 I've struggled to find my sex positive community here in Kansas city, but once I got involved with the LGBT chamber, <laughs> I sort of found my people. Yeah. Used to yeah. be, I'd walk into events and be like, hi, I'm a certified sex coach. And be like, eh. <clears throat> sorry, you're a what? Mm -hmm. Now I walk into chamber stuff and they're like, oh girl, let's talk. Yeah. Promiscuous women, LGBTQ folks have gone together. Like we're we're the core of any good party for all of human history. Fuck yes. <laughs> I agree. I'm definitely yeah. the life of the party when I'm yeah. at places along <laughs> with a gay friend. So <laughs> uh, and I mean, because it's two groups of people who have been exploited mm -hmm. throughout human history because criminalized. they're criminalized because they are not cis and they are not fun. men not yeah. white men it's because we're too fun that's we're why fun. yeah this is the, the the example in history of like the the real life example of they hate our freedom is like what we've done to sex workers and queer folks for mm -hmm. over a thousand years yeah what's always killed me is that it's the people who are always screaming about personal liberty and freedoms individual freedoms all this, the inalienable rights, but they are the first group of people to create legislation right. to try to regulate the human experience. Yeah. First Especially order of comes freedom. To sex and no women's queers bodies. in the library. It's like, what? That's mm -hmm. not, guys. No queers, no abortions. <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like we've really missed it. And what, I, what it is, and, and I think that's why it's so important to you know, to study history. I mean, I say, I, I'm a historically minded person. So I, I bring this bias to every, I ruin dinner parties like this all the time, but I, I feel <laughs> it's so important to recognize that like the South, the Confederacy was fighting for the freedom to enslave. And I think when you look at, you know, corporate policy and the freedom to discriminate and segregate neighborhoods and a lot of other, and like the freedom to disenfranchise, like the, a lot of these quote unquote freedoms of, you know, conservative, uh, conservative lawmakers boil down to this, like freedom to enslave. And I think it's important mm -hmm. to remember how, what what the foundational beliefs of the confederacy were and make sure that we're not propagating that and especially not propagating it in the name of feminism and that's mm -hmm. what what really gives me pause about a lot of like quote unquote anti-trafficking organizations like mm -hmm. that provide no direct services but just run publicity campaigns yeah right focus on a lot of racialized images 
that provide the, the veneer of justification for violent white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, we have to protect our women from dangerous mm-hmm. pimps mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. traffickers who are framed as black and brown, right? People. Uh-huh. And that's just like not what sex work looks like and it's not what trafficking looks like. You know, no, it's not. It's not at all. I there's a organization here in town that runs something called Global Entrepreneurship Week every year, mm-hmm. and I didn't participate in the virtual one in 2020, but the in person one in 2019, I ran into like three people there trying to start organizations to combat human trafficking. Yeah, and and two of them were women, mm-hmm. and, I, and I chatted with them, and I was like, okay, all right, I'm I'm cool with you, but then this gentleman. I just, had, uh, I like looked at him and I just had this sense of like, I don't like you and I don't know why, but I just, I, I introduced myself to him and he was, you know, he'd already said what he, he does, what he's trying to do. I said, so what was the impetus for you wanting to get involved in something like this or to start an organization that combats human trafficking? He's like, well, I've just seen so much on the news and all this exploitation <laughs> and I just, it just really got to me and so I just felt like Q-Anon something person. needed to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So probably. probably yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's, I think it's important to think of like QAnon fancies itself an anti-trafficking organization, right? Because we think that little like sex mm-hmm. slave cartel or whatever, like is, that's being run in Hollywood. And it's like, guys, it's, it's been the Catholic church. I don't like how yeah. many times we yeah. have to cover this. It doesn't matter. But like. <laughs> We, you know, and it's like, well, we got to do that by stripping women of access to reproductive health. uh, And we got to make it harder for people to engage in consensual sex. And that's how we're going to get rid of the predators in our community. And I'm like, guys, guys, yeah. (laughs) That's how it works. Huh? Yeah, it's not how how it works. works. No, but it's like, it's a very uncomfortable feeling because on some level, it's just like really transparent that someone is just sort of like projecting their sex fantasy onto you, but like in the Mm -hmm. form of philanthropy. They're Mm -hmm. like, I really want to rescue these bound up girls that are being held in, and they can just get like really creepy specific about it. And it's like, that's not... You haven't seen that. It's not what's happening. No, because what it is is a step parent taking their child to a hotel and selling them for sex, or taking right, or an older person dating a younger person Mm -hmm. and dating them at first, but then selling them off to their friends across state lines. Yeah, or a uh, queer person running away from an Mm -hmm. abusive home and Mm -hmm. hooking up with an older kid that found that survival sex really worked out as a strategy for them and then teaching the younger person how to do that. That's, mm-hmm. that's also what a lot of trafficking looks like mm-hmm. and prosecuting it doesn't help. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's just like with drugs, prosecuting people for taking drugs or having mm-hmm. drugs on their person, it doesn't solve anything. Yeah. Putting people in jail for having sex and getting paid for it doesn't change anything. No, but if you want fewer people engaging in this work out of desperation, then the answer is more uh, more community resources, right? Mm-hmm. More free housing, uh, free universal health care would go a long way to helping victims of exploitation uh, by taking medical debt away. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need more um, we child free college. options. Yeah, free college. Like these are all anti-trafficking initiatives and anti-trafficking initiatives across the board. They help um, exploited uh, victims and workers in all industries. But this obsession with like cracking down on like sexy stuff isn't an anti-trafficking initiative. It's just not. No. No, it's not. I know that I don't have all the answers as to what we should be doing, but there's a lot of people out there working towards finding better solutions. So what what are some of the organizations out there you would recommend myself or, or listeners really check out and support? Yeah, absolutely. Who, doing the good work? Uh, we've partnered with the Sex Worker Project at the Urban Justice Center, which is doing incredible work on a national level, um, as is Decriminalized Sex Work, uh, the national advocacy organization that I helped start. Um, Swap Behind Bars is another incredible organization. There are local swap chapters and local sex workers who are fighting, um, you know, a very organized decrim and Y in New York. Uh, there's organizations in Seattle. I mean, it, look, look for a swap chapter, look for sex workers near you. Um, and if you can't find them, look to your LGBT communities and decarceration and Black Lives Matter um, advocacy groups mm-hmm. because, you know, there are sex workers literally everywhere. Yes, there are. You never know. Now, I want to ask a few more questions about the oldest profession podcast. So when I looked at your at your episodes and listened to a few, you tend to not just, you're not just doing an episode about a sex worker in history. You're doing like a really in-depth dive into the history of this person. So mm-hmm. tell my listeners a little bit more about how your episodes kind of, kind of work. How like, how it yeah. goes. I mean, I, you know, so I was a history major in college, but much more importantly, um, you know, we've partnered with Dr. Charlene Fletcher, who is a PhD historian. She's currently doing her postdoc at Brown University. And she brings, you know, an academics toolbox to this production process. So before we record, Dr. Fletcher and I spend weeks um, you know, going over her research, uh, going through, you know, what available resources are out there, engaging in a conversation about the, the context of this period, you know, what's going on around it, who is this person, how do they fit, um, you know, into, uh, into this historical, this larger historical narrative. And I think it's important, you know, I feel like the mantra of any historian, right, is like, context matters, um, and I wish that could be more of a mantra for our policymakers and even ourselves, like just in relationship to one another. You know, there's just, there's always a lot going on. Um, and I think centering, you know, it, it's, and it research matters. I don't, I, I, I don't want to nerd out too hard, but like I'm a nerd at heart and I bring that energy uh, to, to the podcast. I've been sort of obsessed with sex workers since I did a report about Matahari in high school. Yes. And my teacher was so intrigued that I took this approach of like, she was exploited. She was just trying to survive. And I didn't take the, you know, she was wicked, evil, you know, right. prostitute, whore, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was taking more the approach of what do women need to do to survive in the times of war? Really, what did you expect her to do? Like, right? Yeah. You're like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to spy for anybody. No, that's how you end up getting killed. Right. Yeah. A government agent comes to you and says, I want you to spy for us. No. Okay. Well, 
now you know too much. So uh, yeah, I mean, I know somebody who did refuse to do that. Uh, and, you know, they ended up being pushed or jumped off a fourth story building in Flushing, Queens. So Lord. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. yeah. Law so enforcement it's agencies like... all over the world don't don't take no for an answer. They're sort of like abusers in that way, actually. Yep. I'm trying to think here. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to make sure we talk about? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, you know, if you're if you're asking folks like where should they start, um, I was like for a, a good introduction to the tone of the show, um, you know, listen to our Why January Twenty Fifth Matters episode because that you know we talk all about the old pro project and it's also an introduction to this cool event that you probably you know haven't heard about in American history. I had not heard about it. So I'm looking yeah. forward to learning more about it and participating in that. Um, yeah, that's a pretty cool anniversary. So I'm looking forward to like putting that on my calendar and kind of having something every year to celebrate that. Yeah, now. totally. We're, we want to make it an annual event and we aspire uh, to do something cool in like 2022 or 2023, whenever we can make it happen. Hey, listeners. So tech happens and I'm not sure what went on but the recording cut off at this point (sighs) issues with the hosting site is all I can chalk it up to I promise it wasn't user error I didn't hit anything anyway we were pretty much done at this point but I want you all to be able to easily find Caitlin Caitlin Bailey again is the host of the oldest profession podcast and the founder of the old pro project you can keep up with her work on social media at Caitlin Bailey or at the Old Pro Podcast, and you can sign up for the Old Pro Newsletter. I have all the links you'll need in the show notes. This was such a great episode talking about decriminalizing sex work and the oldest profession. I hope you all found it enlightening. I certainly did. I know it's going to uh, change the way that I frame some things, and if you all have any questions, certainly reach out to Caitlin or myself. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the dirty bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.